I am uh, old enough to remember a time before the internet. Um, and I also remember that, that time of excitement and opportunity that, that came from the rise of the internet and the World Wide Web in the early 1990s. Because there was in those early days of, this, of the internet this, this sense that, that the World Wide Web would usher in uh, this age where information would no longer be controlled by large media corporations or by the government, but there would be this huge democratization of information. But now looking back 30 years later, we can see how terribly naive we were in those early days of the internet. Because while the internet has indeed opened up the flow of information, we've also seen how everyone now has a platform to declare that they are an expert and to post things out on the internet. And it's harder now than ever to determine what is fact and what is fiction. With the internet, and especially the rise of social media, any Yahoo with an internet or a, so, or a smartphone can declare themselves, hey, I'm an expert on something, and post all kinds of falsehoods out there. And it's often difficult for us to tell the truth from lies and from the, the fact, from the fiction. And the church is not immune to this. In a previous generation, most Christians looked to their pastor to teach them about the scripture and, and how to walk with Christ. But now the voice of the local pastor is just one that must compete with thousands of voices on podcasts and YouTube videos and blogs and TikToks, everybody giving their take on the message of Jesus. And so what do we do then when these Christian voices start conflicting with each other? They start contradicting with each other. How do we know who is speaking for God and who is not? Last week, Pastor Steve kicked off our, our study of the book of 2 Peter. And we learned that Peter is writing this book to focus on equipping Jesus' followers to face false teaching that has crept into the church. Just as today we have a myriad of voices and opinions vying for our attention, so also the first century church had this problem with numerous false teachers and self-proclaimed prophets who wanted to hijack the message of Jesus. And Peter earnestly calls this out in the second chapter of the book. In 2 Peter 2.1, he says, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So what's Peter's answer to all these false teachers cropping up in the church? And what is his answer to the church battling this, this information overload from the internet and from social media? His answer is that we need to pay attention to the Bible. The, the way to determine truth from lies, the way to determine the, the, the fact from the fiction is to go back and read and study and understand the scriptures. This morning, as we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21, Peter is going to tell us that we need to pay attention to the Bible. And he's going to give us four reasons why we need to pay attention to the Bible. First, we need to pay attention to the Bible because we need to be reminded. Secondly, we need to pay attention to the Bible because it's a reliable witness. Third, we need to pay attention to the Bible because it helps us to see in the dark. And fourth, we need to pay attention to the Bible because it is the very word of God. So that's our outline for this morning. If you're taking notes, here it is. We need to be reminded the Bible is a reliable witness. The Bible helps us see in the dark and the Bible is the word of God. So that's where we're going today. And let's get started with the first one. The first reason why we should pay attention to the Bible is because we need to be reminded of the message of Jesus. We need to be reminded. Look at what he says in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them 
and are established in the truth that you have. Peter says he wants to remind them of these qualities. Well, what qualities is he, talk, is he talking about? Well, he's talking about all the prior verses that we looked at last week. So just briefly, let's go back and take a look at what we covered it a little bit last week to capture the context. If we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And last week, Pastor Steve talked about how we are always seem to be attractive to new things. We, we, we think that it's just around the corner. If I just have a new book, a new podcast, a, a new life-changing idea, everything's going to be different. But Peter says here that we don't need to go looking for something new at all because God has already given us everything that we need for life and for godliness through the knowledge of him. One of the signs of a false teacher is that they will tell you that they have some sort of previously hidden or secret knowledge. And so they want to add to, or, or they, want to, they want to enhance what the Bible says. But whenever somebody says that they have a new message from God, beware, beware. Because Peter says, God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. We don't need any new teaching. We don't need any new books. We don't need, need any new way of thinking. What we need to do is be reminded of what God has revealed to us already through his word. So Peter here in 2 Peter 1, he's not going to give us anything new. Instead, he's just going to remind us of the things we already know. Isn't it interesting? He, he says that his readers already know and are already established in the truth. It's firmly rooted in them. So why does he need to remind them? He needs to remind them because they, like us, have a tendency to forget. We, we tend to forget and neglect even the most important things in life. As, as I get older, I tend to forget more and more. I, I find myself being very forgetful. But fortunately, we have now for us way to tools that can help remind us of things. So we have like Siri or I have Alexa at home or maybe you use Google. And all day long, I'm saying things like, you know, Alexa, remind me in 30 minutes to swap the laundry or remind me at 1130, I'm meeting somebody for lunch or Alexa, remind me that June 12th is my wedding anniversary. But, but just like we have Alexa or Siri to remind us of the mundane things in life, God has provided us with a tool to be reminded of those things that pertain to life and to godliness. He has given us his written word. And that's why we need to be in the habit of reading his word every day. It's why we need to be in the habit of meditating and memorizing scripture. It's why every Sunday morning when we gather, we teach from the scripture verse by verse because we need to be reminded. And even though we may know the truth and we may be established in the truth, if we want to discern right from wrong, if we want to be able to tell fact from fiction, we need a constant reminder of God's word. And Peter says he doesn't want to remind them just so they can have uh, facts in their brain. He's reminding them because he wants them to take action. Look, look what he says in verse 13. He says, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. The, the word stir up literally means to, to wake someone from their sleep. It, it's not nearly sufficient for us just to know what the truth, we have to take action on the truth. Jesus himself said this in Luke eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The blessing from God's word doesn't just come from hearing it. It comes from keeping it. It comes from obeying it. So Peter wants to remind them of the truth of God's word, not so they accumulate knowledge, but so that it stirs them up and it changes their life. As you're reading through this, do you hear the sense of urgency in Peter? 
He's saying things like, I intend always to remind you. As long as I'm in this body, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to make every effort to remind you. He's determined to see them reminded of the truth. He's making it his life's mission to remind them of God's word. And when we come to verse 14, we see why he has this sense of urgency. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, since I know the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. In other words, Peter knows he's about to die. That's what it means when he says the putting off of my body. Peter's opportunity to remind the people of the truth is slipping away. And he knows that he's about to die because Jesus told him. Now, we're not really sure what Peter's referring to when he says that Jesus has told him that he's about to die. He might be referring to something that Jesus told him back in John 21 after the resurrection, where he told him the type of death that he would have. But whether or not it's from there or some other time that Peter's referring to, he does know that he's about to die. And so he is going to do everything he can to keep reminding his readers of the truth of God's word, even after he's gone. Take a look at verse 15. He says, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able at any time to recall these things. Well, how can Peter remind them after he's already gone? Once you're dead, you can't remind people anymore. Well, the answer is actually a little bit cloudy in the way the ESV translates this verse. What what Peter is saying is that he wants to leave them with a written record. Listen how the NET Bible translates verse 15. It says, I will also make every effort that after my departure, you have a testimony of these things. Peter is saying that he's going to make every effort to to write some sort of testimony, to write a letter, to to write a book that will survive him so that they can keep being reminded of the things he wants to tell them even after he's gone. Now, Bible scholars debate as to what this testimony that Peter is referring to is. It could be the book of 2 Peter itself, what we're reading. That could be the testimony. It could also be referring to the book of Mark, because there's strong historical evidence that the book of Mark is a a gospel based upon the oral teachings of Peter and written down by Mark. But nonetheless, whatever that testimony is, what Peter is saying is that he is going to do everything he can to leave them a written record a written testimony of the truth so that they can be reminded of the truth even after he's gone. One of the most amazing and gracious gifts that we have as as Jesus followers is that we have the written record of the memories and the thoughts and the teachings of the apostles. That, That written record is what we call today the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have books written by people who walked with Jesus And because we have this written testimony, even today, long after the departure of Peter and the other apostles, we are able to recall what it is that Jesus said and what Jesus did. And Peter says, don't squander that gift. Don't squander it. Through the Bible, you have everything you need for life and godliness. So we need to pay attention to the Bible because we need to be reminded of the message of Jesus. Which leads us then to the second reason that Peter gives us for paying attention to the Bible. We should pay attention to the Bible because it is a reliable witness of the message of Jesus. The Bible is a reliable witness. And Peter's going to make this argument for both the New and the Old Testament. First, he's going to affirm the reliability of the New Testament in verses 16 through 18. And then he's going to affirm the reliability of the Old Testament in verse 19. So let's take a look first at the reliability of the New Testament starting in verse 16. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, Peter and the apostles weren't making this stuff up. They weren't passing on some carefully crafted story or some legend about Jesus. Rather, this is eyewitness testimony. The apostles were there. They walked with Jesus for over three years. They saw him perform miracles. They listened to him teach. They learned from his teaching. And then they saw him crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb. And they also were able to see him and hear him and even touch him after he rose from the dead. Christianity always has been firmly rooted in historical events rather than in myth or in legend. And this is very different from the prevailing religion of the day because first century Greco-Roman religion was never rooted in history. No one even pretended it was. It was firmly rooted in mythology. Greek mythology is, is filled with these fantastic tales of the gods and the goddesses and their interaction with human beings. And these myths are still around today. We still read Greek mythology in our literature classes, or we, we watch movies based upon them, like Percy Jackson or, or Clash of the Titans. But Peter says, we didn't pass on myths and made up stories like those. We weren't following fairy tales. We were actual eyewitnesses of Jesus. The, the source of the New Testament is the simple eyewitness testimony of Jesus' original followers. Now, I hate to tell you this, but not everyone believes that. In fact, most people, in fact, most secular Bible scholars are probably going to tell you that the Bible is indeed a legend, that, that over the centuries, the Jesus followers had embellished these stories in order to make them more exciting. And, and most scholars wouldn't attribute any sort of malice to this, but, but like an old fishing tale, you know, the size of the fish just gets a little bigger with each retelling, right? Because it makes the story more interesting. And because, well, they would have been used to this sort of a tall tale from Greek mythology. However, C.S. Lewis, who is a literature professor in both Oxford and Cambridge in the mid-20th century, disagrees with this viewpoint. In his book, God in the Dock, Lewis says this, quote, As a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. According to, the, according to Lewis, the New Testament doesn't fit the style or the genre of Greco-Roman mythology of the era. If you read the mythology and then you read the Bible, the New Testament in particular, they don't sound alike. The New Testament is written in such a style that it is clear that the writer is fully convinced that the events around the life of Jesus are fully true. They read like a history. They don't read like mythology. Lewis goes on to say, if they are not history, then they are a realistic prose fiction of a kind which never actually existed before the 18th century. In other words, if the writing of the New Testament is legendary, it means that the apostles crafted such an elaborate hoax that was advanced, that was so advanced and so intricate and so utterly unique for the literature of the day that it's actually more plausible just to believe that what they wrote was actually true. There is no hint anywhere in the New Testament that what is being recorded is anything other than the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. For example, listen, listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, with which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that which is seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and we are writing these things 
so that our joy may be made complete. John, like Peter, is claiming that what we have in the New Testament is actual eyewitness testimony. Okay, that's fine. We've got some eyewitness testimony there. But but what about those books of the New Testament that weren't written by an apostle? Sure, Matthew and John and Peter, they were apostles. They walked with Jesus. But what about Luke? What about Mark? They weren't, the, they weren't one of the 12 apostles. Or, or what about Paul? Paul wasn't walking with Jesus when Jesus was on this earth, and he wrote more books of the New Testament than all of them. Well, Peter addresses this issue himself in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter 3.15, Peter says this, Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. First of all, I find it comforting that even Peter has a hard time understanding Paul sometimes. That makes me feel a little bit better. But more importantly, note that Peter says, as they do the other scriptures, he is equating the writings of Paul with the other scriptures. So while the apostles didn't write every single book of the New Testament, all the New Testament books are either directly written by them or they are affirmed by an apostle. For example, let's take the book of Mark that we've already talked about. The gospel of Mark was written by a guy by the name of John Mark, who was not one of the original apostles. But there's very, very strong historical evidence that Mark's gospel is a written account of Paul of Peter's oral history regarding the life of Jesus. In fact, here in verses 17 and 18, Peter references an event that is recorded in Mark chapter 9. So turn to Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, we see the, the, the event. We see the story of what's called the transfiguration. And this is recorded to us by Mark. So Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared with them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. While this is written by Mark, can you hear that this comes from Peter's perspective? But Mark says that Peter didn't know what to say. And he was terrified. So he just blurts out something about, hey, let's make some tents for everybody. But, but how would Mark know that that was Peter's motivation for saying that? How would he know if Peter hadn't told him? So look now at what Peter says about this event back in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Back in our passage, Peter refers to this when he says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, we ourselves heard the voice. This is no secondhand account. 
Peter, James, and John were with him on the holy mountain. And more importantly, Peter is saying that that this transfiguration is actually a foreshadowing of the second coming of Jesus. That the transfiguration of Jesus, it gives us a glimpse into the, the splendor and the glory of the enthroned king, Jesus Christ. It's a foretaste of what it'll be like when Jesus returns and he returns in glorious splendor. And so why is this important? Well, because one of the things that the false teachers were telling the people was that Jesus was not coming back again. They were casting doubts on the second coming. In 2 Peter 3, Peter warns, 2 Peter 3, 3, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? These false teachers were accusing the apostles of being wrong about what they were saying about Jesus coming back. And Peter counters by pointing to the transfiguration. He's basically saying, hey, we did not make up the promise of Jesus' return. In fact, we've already seen what the second coming is going to look like. We saw Jesus coming in power and glory on the holy mountain. He's saying, when I am talking about the second coming, I know what I'm talking about because I saw what it's going to look like on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter and the apostles were not following cleverly devised myths. They were eyewitnesses to the majesty of Christ. And therefore, the New Testament is a reliable witness of the message of Jesus. Okay, so that's the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament is actually a larger part of our body, of our Bible. Did you actually know that 75% of your Bible is Old Testament? Only a quarter is the New Testament. And none of the writers of the Old Testament saw Jesus. They were centuries before Jesus. And so how do we know if the Old Testament can also be a reliable witness to Jesus? Well, take a look at what Peter says in verse 19. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. When Peter here is talking about the prophetic word, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets who centuries before had predicted the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, who's going to come and bring salvation to to his people. Now, when we think of the prophets, we usually very narrowly define those. The prophets are people like Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah or maybe Daniel. But Peter has in mind here the entirety of the Old Testament because the entirety of the Old Testament is a prophecy, is a foreshadowing, is a, is a look forward to Christ. Clear back in the book of Genesis when it's promised that a descendant of Eve will come and will defeat Satan. To the book of Psalms, which, which talks about a coming king who will rule over the nations. To, to 2 Samuel, which declares that this king is going to come through the line of David. Every book of the Old Testament is telling this story of one who is going to come someday and save the people from their sins. And Peter tells us in verse 19 that those prophecies of all of the Old Testament, as it's prophesying and telling of the coming of Christ, have been fully confirmed. To be confirmed means to be validated. They've been vetted, they've been tested, and they've been found holding up. It means the Old Testament is reliable. And now the Old Testament has always been reliable, but Peter says now they have been more fully confirmed. He's saying that now, while they were confirmed in the past, we now have them more fully confirmed. Why? Because now we can see exactly how those prophecies have been fulfilled in Christ. When Peter saw Jesus coming in in power and glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, it proved to him more than ever that the Old Testament was right in predicting what the Christ would be like because he could see him. People, our Bible is reliable. The New Testament is reliable because it is the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. 
The Old Testament is reliable because it is a more fully, it has been more fully confirmed by the fulfillment of the prophecies of Christ. And so we should pay attention to the Bible. Why? Because it is a reliable witness of the message of Jesus. The third reason we should pay attention to the Bible is because it helps us to see in the dark. It helps us to see in the dark. Look at verse 19 again. It says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It reminds me of Psalm 119, 105 that says, your word is a light, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Several years ago, uh, I got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom and I didn't want to wake up my wife, so I didn't turn the light on. But I wasn't worried about it because, you know, I know the path from my bed to the bathroom. I've used that like a million times. So it wasn't going to be any problem, right? But what I hadn't anticipated was that somebody, and by somebody I mean me, uh, had left the vacuum cleaner out right in the path between my bed and the bathroom. And sure enough, as I'm making my way in the dark, completely pitch black, I jam my toe right into the vacuum cleaner. And as I found out later that day from the x-ray, I actually broke my big toe. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. There's like nothing more painful than a, than a toe that's broken. It's just excruciating. But, but I want to tell you that navigating through this information explosion to, that we have today can feel a little bit like groping in the dark, trying to find our way into the bathroom. And we all run the danger of stubbing our toe. But the good news is, is the Bible is, is like that flashlight app that I should have been using to find my way from the bed to the bathroom. It shows us a path. It shows us the way forward. Now, where this becomes a challenge is that the Bible doesn't always explicitly tell us what to do or think in absolutely every situation. There are certain topics, there are certain things which the Bible is silent on. And this is especially true of even some of the modern controversies that we've been facing lately. For example, I hate to tell you this, but the Bible absolutely says nothing about COVID. You can look all you want, you'll never see the word COVID anywhere in your Bible. The Bible doesn't even tell us explicitly who we should vote for. It doesn't say vote for this guy or vote for that guy. It, the, primarily because, you know, democracy wasn't even around when the Bible was written. But, but nonetheless, through the Bible, God has given us a filter to test and evaluate all claims of truth, even if that particular issue is not specifically mentioned in the scripture. Let me, let me give you an example of that. In James 3.17, it says this, James 3.17, the word from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Do you, do you want to know if something is from God or not? Is it pure? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? Is it full of mercy? Is it full of good fruits? Is it impartial? Is it sincere? If so, then it's from God. It's wisdom from above. But if what we're hearing is doesn't pass this test, if it's not peaceable, if it's not open to reason, if it doesn't bear good fruit, then James 3.15 says, rather bluntly, this is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it's demonic. So we must test everything with the filter of the Bible. It doesn't matter if it's a tweet, if it's a podcast, if it's a book, if it's a movie. We have to evaluate everything through the filter of the Bible. And we have to do that even if the person who's talking to us says that they're a Christian. Because there are many people who say they're Christians who are actually false teachers trying to lead you astray. 
So you have to filter even people who say that they are speaking for Christ. And I have to admit to you, this is hard work. To have to filter everything that comes through is hard work. First of all, you have to know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, you're not going to filter it properly. But secondly, that means we have to be intentional with everything that we watch and everything we hear. We can't just casually veg out on the couch and just like just let the information flow over us. We have to sit and evaluate. Is this in alignment with what we see in God's word? We have to be on guard. We have to be alert. We have to filter everything that we hear. But here's the good news. This is not something that we will have to do forever. This is something we only have to do for a short time. Because while we live in the midst of darkness now, Peter says that there will come a time when the morning star will rise and the day will dawn. And this is a reference to the second coming of Christ. Literally, the morning star that's being mentioned here, it's just the planet Venus, you know, which comes up just before the dawn. But figuratively, Christ is called the morning star throughout Scripture. He's called that in Numbers chapter 24. And he's called that in Revelation 22:16, where Jesus says, I, Jesus, am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. But while we wait for Jesus to return, we are not left to grope in the dark. He has left us his word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We should pay attention to the Bible because it helps us to see in the dark. The fourth and final reason we should pay attention to the Bible is because it is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. Look at what Peter says in verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're going to get technical here, Peter, when he's talking about the prophecy of Scripture, is really only talking about the Old Testament because that's all they had at that point. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. But, but I believe, based on what Peter has just said about the apostolic witness, that we can include the New Testament in what he says here about the Bible. That the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, are the very word of God. And in these verses, Peter tells us two things about the Bible. First, he's going to tell us the origin of the Bible And then he's going to tell us the authorship of the Bible. First, let's look at the origin of the Bible. Peter says that no prophecy comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, ironically, this phrase can be interpreted a couple different ways. And that interpretation depends upon what you think the someone refers to. If the someone is referring to the reader or to the writer of the prophecy. If the someone here refers to the reader... That means that we are not allowed to interpret the scripture however we want. I mean, you hear people all the time say that, you know, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. And and you certainly can, and it certainly has been interpreted in a lot of different ways. But the truth is, there is only one proper interpretation of scripture. We we may not understand it, we may not know it, but, but there is only one proper interpretation of scripture, and we need to figure out what that is. However, I don't think that's what Peter's saying here. It's true, but it's not what he's saying here anyway. I think what Peter is saying here is that the someone in this phrase refers not to the reader, but to the author. Peter is saying that prophecy doesn't come from the author's own interpretation. In other words, the Bible is not the human author's take on things. The the, the Bible is instead, it's God's take on things. The same idea, the idea to write down the Bible didn't originate with human beings at all, but from God. That's why Peter says no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It's it's not like Isaiah or Moses or or Peter or anybody else said, hey, I 
think I'll get up and write the Bible today. You know, they sat down at their desk and they started writing. That's, that's not how it worked. The Bible is not a human idea. The Bible is God's idea. So God is the one who originated the Bible. But God is also the one who authored the Bible. Peter explains the authorship of the Bible because while God initiated it, he also wrote it, but he involved human beings in the process. Look at verse 21. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible was not written down through a process of dictation. It's not like God said to the writers, hey, just write this down, just keep it word for word, and then you'll have what you need. That's not at all how it worked. The Bible was written as humans were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word carried along is often used of a sailing ship. So if you think of the days before steam and diesel engines and outboard motors, if you wanted your ship to go anywhere, you had to raise the sails and the wind would push you to where you needed to be. And in the same way, the human authors of the Bible are different ships, but the Holy Spirit is the same wind pushing them all. And the Spirit uses the author's unique experiences unique thoughts, unique writing styles, so that he could have exactly the words and phrases that he wanted us to hear when we read the Bible. And so we can say that the Bible is a unique blend of human and divine authorship based upon a unique collaboration, initiated and directed by God, but accomplished through the individual personalities, experiences, and styles of the human author. And so, because the Bible was originated with God, and because the Holy Spirit carried the authors along, we can state that the Bible is indeed the very word of God given to us so that we can know him. Therefore, we should pay attention to the Bible because it is the word of God. In conclusion, as we, if we wanted to sum up everything that we've been looking at here in, first, in 2 Peter, it really comes down to something he says, two little words in verse 19. In verse 19 to where he says, to to which you would do well to pay attention. Basically, at the end of the day, all Peter is saying is, pay attention to your Bible. And he's given us four reasons we should pay attention. We should pay attention because we need to be reminded. We, we need to pay attention because the Bible is that reliable witness we can count on. The, the Bible helps us to see in the dark. The Bible is the very word of God. People, God has given to us an incredible gift. He has given us a revelation of himself. If you think about it, God is actually too big. He, he's too infant. He's too transcendent for us to know anything about him through science or human reason or human philosophy, which means the only thing that we can know about God is what he tells us about himself. And the number one primary way that he reveals himself is through his written word. Peter had the unique privilege of being able to hear the audible voice of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. But I would suggest to you today that when we read the prophecies of the Old Testament, or when we read the eyewitness testimony of the apostles in the New Testament, we are able to hear that very same voice of God that Peter heard. In this book, we can hear the very voice of God. And if that's the case, we would do well to pay attention to this revealed word. This word, pay attention, has with it this nautical connotation. It's used in, the, in, in ancient Greek of, of a pilot of a ship. 
If you think about a pilot of a ship, they, they have to be paying attention. They have to be alert. They have to be aware that, that there's rocks over here so they don't crash the, the ship over on the rocks. Or there's a sandbar over there, so we don't want to go aground there. And so instead, they want to pay attention to those navigational chart, charts so they can keep the ship right on course, right down the middle of the channel. Likewise, for us, to be able to navigate our journey with Christ faithfully to the end, if we are to grow in life and godliness, we also need to pay attention We need to pay attention to our surroundings so we don't wreck our ship on on the rocks of misinformation or or run aground on the sandbar of false teaching. Instead, we need to use our navigational chart, the word of God, which charts a course for us right down the channel of God's revealed will for us. For we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our heart.